Hi, I'm Peter Anthony. And I'm Steve Angel. You're listening to Men With Spirit. Join us as we explore what it means to be a modern man and to live a spirited life. G'day and welcome to this, it must be the 27th episode of... Uh, 28th, 28th, actually. 28th, yeah, 28th. 28th. Gee whiz. Yes. It's the 28th episode of um, Men With Spirit at Radio Caram and we're obviously, uh, it's Peter Anthony here with Steve Angel and this is the show where we encourage men to get out of their heads and more into their hearts, to be more authentically connected with themselves and with others. And the other person we have in the studio with us today, Steve, we're very, mm. very excited to have our second millennial, uh, <laughs> Joshua Amenta. G'day, Joshua, and welcome, mate. Very good. Thank you, Peter. Thank you, Steve. Happy to be here. Yeah, well, we're happy to, very happy to have you here. Yeah. Um, we go through a bit of a routine of asking how we're feeling. So, how, how are you, Steve? How am I feeling? You know, after 28 episodes, I should really have an answer prepared for you. It, it, does, tend, it does tend to vary. It should vary from show to show, shouldn't it? Uh, look, I am feeling, I am feeling a little... I'm, I'm excited about today's episode because having a young person's perspective on a topic is always really... Mm-hmm. It's, it's exciting. It's um, a little intriguing and curious. So, that's got me a little jazzed. As Sheldon would say, <laughs> very good, very good. And I've, I've got, uh, I've got the lingering uh, cough, so I'm going to be a little bit uh, in the background today. Um, but in terms of how I'm feeling, I was actually I was sharing with someone uh, yesterday about um, Queen Elizabeth II passing, and uh, I was feeling it surprised me how sad it made me feel you know I've got a few tears and that sort of thing and then you think back um, over your life and the experiences we've had with her as queen and I'm, a, I'm a, a staunch republican but I have a lot of regard for her so it was interesting just how I felt so there was a, there's an element of sadness about all that and, and you cannot escape it that's about the radio tv whatever it's over everything I was listening to the last week's program and I thought well, quite prophetic, or you were quite prophetic. Oh, well, mentioned, I was mentioning the Queen, <laughs> and I thought you said, "What? She, she's going to be around for another thirty years or something." Like. I know. I think I put the Mars on her. Like <laughs> it's all your fault, mate. It was yeah. just shortly after that it all happened. Oh uh, no! <laughs> but um, anyhow, look, I'm um, I'm feeling reasonably good, but um, yeah, it, it is there is a, a sadness, I reckon, out in in the community at the moment. It's like. Um, uh, there's a changing of the guard and there's a lot of change going on in society and various people we've looked up to have um, uh, have died or have passed and I think people are just, um, you know, reflecting on where things are at and what change is happening in, in their lives and what do they want for the future and just recognising the lack of permanency. And, uh, yeah, it's an interesting time we're in at the moment. I think you're right. I think it also highlights the fact that change is normal. Mm. It is actually more normal than we want it to be because you like to sit in the comfort of life often, don't we? So, but it is, it changes. It changes very, very quickly often. Yeah. And um, yeah, but it, it, I'm a bit like you with the Queen as well. I was just, yeah, it took me back. It's just one of those figures in your life. I've only known one um, 
you know, king or queen, you know, so that was it in my lifetime. Well, I so, think most people, it, yeah. you know, these days, given she's been in that role for 70 years, mm. most of us, uh, there might be a few that are slightly older, but... I think you need to be over your 70s to have yeah. known the king, but that was about it. And so just always one of those stalwarts that I always thought, well, she's just a queen, she'll mm. always be there. Mm. And now now we look forward to seeing Charles's mug on the back of our coins, which will be interesting. Mm. Mm. But that point you made about uh, change, um, some years ago I used to be in the you know, management consulting side of things and in change management, mm-hmm. and we used to make the point that, exactly the point you made, that uh, get over this idea that you've got a job for life and everything stays the same. Change is inevitable. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, so as the experts that came in talking about change management, it was just trying to get the idea across that change was part and parcel of life now. So just get, get used to it sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And you put your finger right on it, that change is part and parcel of life, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm, it really and, is. And we're going to be talking about that um, yeah, with our today. Guests today. So, do, so do let's get on to it. Do you want to introduce uh, Joshua and yeah. the theme of what we're doing today? Absolutely. Look, Joshua is a young man who's made the decision to find more balance and meaning in his life, but not defining himself by his career. And to see career as a means to provide for his family and develop his personal skills rather than be defined by it. Now, and I, when I was speaking to Joshua about this, I thought it was really exciting that someone around... Well, you're 29, aren't you, Joshua? Yes, correct. 29. <laughs> That's a lot of I'm insight and wisdom. Um, you know, you've come to this realisation that pursuing a career in and of itself is really not enough and that you want work to only be part of your life not mm. and not to define you and your personal identity, mm. which is really interesting as an aside that, you know, there's a lot of study that goes on about men who really define themselves by the career. It's, it's quite an... Uh, a normal thing Mm. the problem with that is that when you do that you can often just be lost in the identity of work and you don't even know who you are so when we were talking to Joshua about this I thought it was a really exciting thing and to Mm. talk to someone young who sort of got to that realization very early so welcome to the show Joshua again Mm -hmm. I'm excited to explore this topic with you (laughs) me too let's just get to the beginning Joshua Um, as a young boy did you have an idea what you wanted to do for a career Yes, it, it changed, but as it changed, I was very confident with whatever it was. There would be one career, one outcome, and as it moved every couple of years, it shifted. Um, I'd go at that 110%. The idea of being a 17-year-old, looking ahead and now being 29, and looking back, I would not believe the different jobs, the different career choices, um, the different outcomes that have actually happened. I wouldn't believe it um, because, yes, as I grew up, there was always that one career, that one job that I'd move into, mm. and it hasn't happened that way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What was the What was the the one that you really felt like this is this is the career for me? Just you know, we all would have one when we were younger. What was that one for you? I would say that it was relating to psychology, mm-hmm. understanding people so as to help them. That really took form at about 16, 17, 18, studying VCE, and it ended up being what I originally studied at university. Um, the reason for psychology definitely related to understanding people mm-hmm. and then being able to help them. Yeah. Yeah. So, w- did you understand what a career path was? You know, was that drilled into you as a, as a young boy that, you know, you needed to have a career and understand what that is at such a young age? Mm, interesting. I knew that I needed to make money mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I believed that I'd be happy in the job that I ended up taking. Um, I didn't fully understand 
the level of movement that's required, the level of effort, even to get that original um, foot in the door, mm-hmm. so to speak. I think the biggest change and realisation for me that dawned on me during the completion of university was that getting the university certificate doesn't directly relate to an outcome, a, pro- a profession. Mm-hmm. And that's really common within the social sciences, the philosophies. And um, that was an absolute shock. Mm-hmm. I was, if I, I can add to that, I was having a discussion with uh, one of the students on, on my bus yesterday. And he, we had the discussion about what he was going to do. And we were talking about him getting a degree. And once he's got a degree, it opens up all sorts of opportunities. And I said, well... You might like to just explore things with your career advice a little bit more carefully because it doesn't guarantee you've got a job um, and often people get uh, opportunities open up even without degrees. So Absolutely. Uh, I had the belief that I'd get the degree, I'd get that qualification on a piece of paper and I'd be able to bend spoons with my mind. Uh. I'd be able to grow a foot taller. I'd um, have a permanent smile on my face for the rest of my life yeah. and it didn't work out that way. So the career advisors at, at school, how useful did you find those in terms of helping you to chart a, a path forward? Yes, looking back, um, I do believe that there wasn't enough support required, but I take full ownership as a 17, 18-year-old not looking into the career outcomes mm-hmm. um, of what, say, a social science degree would lead to. Didn't feel that I was armed with enough knowledge, but... Looking back, I need to look at the teacher that worked with me, the careers counsellor at the school. She would have been a woman that lived in the small country town that I went to school at, 1,200 people there, worked as a teacher for 40 years. What could she actually offer me about mm. career, about the... the um, That's a really interesting point, yes. What yep. was her experience that she could share with you that would yep. give you something more than just her own lived experience. Yeah, and, and nothing against her, but unfortunately she couldn't. She handed me a textbook that related to the university, the social science degree, um, and what ATAR I needed to get there. Mm. Nothing about what would happen at university and then, most importantly, what would happen afterwards. Mm. Were you influenced at all by your parents as to what you were to choose? Ah, uh, yes, that's, that's an interesting one too. That sort of relates to the earlier question about the different um, professions I wanted to achieve when I was younger um, because I moved through a lot like most children, moved from wanting to be an AFL superstar (laughs) to wanting to be an actor to wanting to be a lawyer to wanting to be a prime minister. Um, And the parental influence for those, I believe, was was very astute, very helpful. I recall my mum when I was 10 years old saying that I want to become the Prime Minister, explaining that there are 20 million people in Australia and only one Prime Minister. So the odds of you attaining that are small, (laughs) but if you do want to go for it, you can, of course. And the same for AFL Superstar, the odds are very small. Um, Yeah, so so in those pipe dreams, um, I believed I was given the real world. In terms of psychology and later went on to study a master's in teaching as a 16 year old I recall a discussion with my mother and it related to me starting to think that I'd actually like to be a teacher and I remember her saying and there must be a reason I can still remember it that teaching is something you do as a backup You don't aim to be a teacher at that age. Therefore, it didn't have enough status. Mm -hmm. So, being who I am, I do have a need to care and to give and to help Mm -hmm. others. 
I believe that'll always be there. So I believe from that conversation, it transitioned from teaching into psychology where there's a bit more status and a bit more money. Was, was your mother a teacher, just to, to put it into some sort of context? She, yes, she was actually. Mm. So she was speaking from personal experience and was trying to guide you on that. Yep. Mm. Yep. Mm. Okay, interesting. We'll talk a little bit more about that because you did say that you did a master's in teaching at university. Share with us the experience at university. How different was that to being in high school for you? Yeah, strangely, it, to me, it was quite similar. Um, if we're talking later high school, the VCE years, where you spend, if you, if you want to go down the academic pathway, you spend it as we know in a classroom. And university was very much the same um, for both psychology and for teaching. Even though it's a degree that will relate to dealing with people eventually, the whole course is taught within four walls. Mm -hmm. Um, So, therefore, I felt it was very limited to academia. And once again, returning to that same issue of not enough um, preparations for the the brutality of the real world outside of those four walls. Mm -hmm. What would you have liked to have seen more of? How, what, what is that preparation? What would it have looked like for you? What would you have preferred to have seen? What kind of discussions would you have preferred to have? Oh, yeah, great question. Um, with so, We'll go to the first one. So, with Bachelor of Social Science and Psychology, which I completed, um, the fact that to become a psychologist would take um, six years of study, something as simple as that, um, when I began the course would have helped a lot. That's mm-hmm. a long time. Um, that discussion, I don't, I don't remember being had. As well as teaching too. Um, within the two-year master's course, there wasn't a unit on applying for jobs, which is a huge part about becoming a teacher. Um, if you're not ongoing, you have to apply every year. You have to write key selection criteria. Mm-hmm. What does that look like? What does a cover letter look like? What, how's the resume going to help? Um, and that's all, all of the real world knowledge that um, I believe at a university would really help the youth today. That's missing. If anyone can hear sort of uh, celebrations in the background, <laughs> we've got a function uh, <laughs> a, a little bit up the way from the studio here. So, <laughs> so someone's having a good time. <laughs> they certainly are. Um, at that point, when you, I mean, you're reflecting back and looking at the things that you felt it was missing. But at the time, did you feel confident in your choice of doing psychology or social sciences and then going into a master's of teaching? Did that feel like, yes, I'm now on path, now I am doing what I want to do? Mm. Did it feel, did you feel more confident? Yeah. One, once we got to teaching, I, I felt that mm-hmm. and I believed in that. Mm-hmm. With psychology, we're talking when I was 19 to, to 22, 23 um, without the knowledge and still living in the fantasy at nineteen twenty, the first two years of the degree. I was excited still for what the future could look like. And come the end of the second, the start of the third year of university is when it dawned on me. It's a shame it took so long. It's when it dawned on me that if I want to follow this career path, it would mean six years of study. And then after that, what the job would actually look like is still in four walls for mm-hmm. eight hours a day. Mm-hmm. And... 19, 20, 21, a growing identity meant that I realized that I needed more than that, that I have an extra, I have, there are extroverted sides to my character. Mm-hmm. So, we're two, two and a half years into a degree and there's that O-S-H-I-T moment. Yeah. Um, I really hope I haven't wasted time here, but it's possible that I have. Mm-hmm. Teaching was different though. Teaching was different. Um, 
Did one, you go straight from the psych into teaching or, or what? No. So um, a, a brief picture would be um, after high school, a year of work, year of work nonstop, um, mm-hmm. saved money, then went into university, lived on campus in Hawthorne, studied social science, 19, 20, 21, 22, 20. Three-ish. So, um, was that at Swinburne? At Swinburne. Yeah, good. Yep. Swinburne. That's Hawthorne. where I went too. Ah. Did you? Fourth on campus, yeah. 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 Um, after that travel for a year, the return of travel um, with not too much relevant work history relating to social science and psychology, I still was hoping that the doors would swing wide open because I had that certificate that qualification, I should say, and it didn't happen that way. So the opportunity to work in psychology wouldn't have been possible without um, further study um, or some form of internship where you're not actually earning money. And after the travels 24, I moved into sales role. Um, And within a year of the sales role, I decided to pursue teaching, mm-hmm. and while study while working at sales, I studied the two years to do teaching. Um, and in the study, in the lead up, I was very confident that teaching would be finally, at last, that um, one job that I'd do until I was fifty, sixty. Okay, so let's talk about that. Mm. So, where did you do the, the teaching, uh, the qualification? Uh, Monash at Monash. Yeah, but Monash you're doing it part time. Uh, no, I did it full time. Okay, but you're still um, doing some sales. Yeah, doing well. doing sales work was you more the, more the part time. Yeah, board. very busy, very busy. In that respect, it helped that so much was online. Yeah. Um, it meant that you could work where you could study weekends and after school, but after the, the, work. The I mean. reality these days, uh, like in in my day, we, yep. we university was free when Gough Whitlam came in. They made it oh, free. Really? But in, now you've got this incredible situation where you've got high fees and hex and debt and all the rest of it, and yep. people need to work yep. to actually uh, you know pay their course fees and support themselves, and that's yep. the reality. Anyhow, you, you got yeah. through those two years doing that. Yeah, busy, busy. Yeah, so yep. you, you finished. Um, the masters yep and then all the doors open yep yeah well um through an intensive uh process of applying for teaching roles um yeah i managed to secure a full-time position as a primary school teacher teaching prep uh, at a school in caram downs actually really yeah okay. patterson uh, which one? Oh, i um i won't name it on okay. here if that's okay. okay that's okay um but it was a school in caram downs yeah and Moving from sales, I left sales and while I was still studying the master's, I uh, took a teacher aid job at that school, um, which really helped get the full-time position the following year. Good on you. So, so to share with us the experience, you know, you've uh, you studied now and now you've, you're in a job that you've actually studied for. Yep. So, all of that sort of, you know, trial and error that you went through over the last few years, you're here there and now you're in your, you know, you, the environment that you hope to be in. Yeah. What was it like in being a teacher for the very first time? Yeah, so incredibly overwhelming, uh, first year teaching, but at the same time, many elements of fulfilment in feeling that I'm finally able to um, give that caring and dedicated side to others. Um, and teaching in that respect, it, was, it had elements of fulfilment, but come the end of the first year of teaching, 
I had to reflect and re- realize that due to the pressures relating to outside of work hours, meetings after school, lesson plans, that I didn't really have much of a life mm-hmm. outside of teaching. Um, that was a massive reflection. So with heaps of effort and heaps of work, I could f- gain some formal fulfillment in the workplace, but at what cost? Mm-hmm. At what cost? And that's led to a recent reflection of, due to the workloads of teachers these days, I could indeed work work really hard um, and continue with teaching, but it would probably mean that my family life would suffer mm-hmm. and that I'm not sure if I'd see my own children as much. I'm not sure if I'd have as much time with my wife as I'd want to, hobbies outside of becoming a teacher. The workload is huge in teaching. I imagine that's um, increased over recent years as well uh, in terms of the workload yeah. and commitments and all that sort of thing. Yes, I believe so. Mm. I believe so. And we're talking um, about primary school teaching here too, aren't we? Yes, mm. we are. Yeah. So yep. can you imagine what it would be like in high school? <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> yep. well, well, I'm aware of a, someone who's got a, a VCE uh, coordination role, just been given that, and yep. she's got two young kids and <laughs> basically says... I don't want to do this. I, yeah. and my family life is more yeah. important than taking on this additional promotion. Yeah. So I think your thinking in terms of getting that balance right between yeah. the different parts of your life yeah. is a really wise um, uh, reprioritization, shall we say. Yeah. Yeah. But in many respects, I, I come here today feeling almost a a failure like what can i contribute to this podcast i've gone and studied two degrees and rather than follow that pursuit of the career that i expected to i've actually moved into something different and chosen the pathway which is sales which actually brings me a lot of joy which i chose on the journey to the destination i'm going back and choosing that i actually enjoyed the journey more than the destination so in that respect i come here today feeling feeling vulnerable um, and wishing that I could stand on a pedestal and say I was a big success and teaching worked absolutely perfectly for me, um, but I've had to do a, a slight detour because of different priorities and and where I want my life to head. I think I think that's I think that's really quite interesting. Let's come back to that, right? Because I think that y- your honesty there is I'm very you know it's refreshing to hear. Mm. Um, but I think it could be also be a little bit hard on you, harsh on yourself. But let's come back and explore that a little bit more, okay? But before we do do that, you know, um, on this show we love to hear the music that people choose, that it means something to them, and um, and we feel that music is a very important part of our lives. Now we ask you to choose a song. Do you want to share with us what the name of the song is and why you've chosen it? Yeah, so this will be Johnny Runaway by Tones and I. Tones and I is the global artist who released Dance Monkey. And this was her first ever claim to fame. This was the first song she submitted to Triple J and got her recognised. But because of Dance Monkey, it was never played too much. But I feel there's some really beautiful meanings hidden within the song. Well, I'm glad you've chosen this one and not Dance Monkey. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, we'd be sing- we'd have couldn't get it out of our mind for the rest of the weekend. Okay, here we go.
Hi, my name's Paul Kennedy, and I'm a sport reporter for the ABC, and when I'm not listening to the ABC, I listen to Radio Karam. Tune in and enjoy. Hello and welcome back. You're listening to Men With Spirit on Radio Karen with me, Steve Angel, my co-host, Peter Anthony, and we have a very special guest today, Jonathan, uh, Joshua Amenta, who is a young man who has decided that work is not going to define who he is. And we're talking about choosing a career as a young man and then your expectations moving forward and really what work really has in terms of its meaning in terms of his life. So, before the break and before we heard that song, Joshua, you mentioned something about coming in and feeling like a little bit of a failure for not actually pursuing a career in what you had actually studied. Yes. Um, welcome to the club, I might say. <laughs> well, I've done it, I'm sure. You have done uh-huh. it, Peter. We all have too. It's all about that exploration. But share with us a little bit more about what that means to you um, and, and, and why you felt you need to share that. Um, okay, so I'd argue that the, the shame, the potential failure that I could feel would relate to the instilled belief that we have in culture where the job for a man is in- incredibly important. Mm-hmm. It's hard to break that blockage, um, particularly with the level of excitement that was was with me for the first two degrees that I studied for, um, believing that it would happen. Um, and that forever after I'd be, like we spoke before, joked about, that'd be mm. really happy afterwards. That hasn't happened and it turns out that I'm choosing a job that is not a forever job, that is a means to something more, but what it will mean is that I'll be able to support a family financially, mm-hmm. that, I'll, that my partner will be able to be with child when that child is really young, that the current role that I'm in with sales has the flexibility where I can actually create, um, help create uh, some form of spiritual business in the future mm-hmm. that can really help others more than I could help children as a teacher within the education system. Mm-hmm. Um, You've come to this realisation from taking a chance or stepping into a career you felt that was right for you. Don't you feel that that is important Important to have explored it because maybe that realization reflection would not have been possible had you not it would have been a part of a, a dream that you thought it would be like but you don't know until you're in it right you don't know what it yeah. actually is like and obviously as we've expressed as well career counselors and even the university didn't help you understand the realities of the jobs that you wanted to seek so yeah, yeah. can you look back now perhaps and just think well okay I've tried it. This is this is really what it's actually like, and frankly, yeah. I don't really like it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. That's a really good point, Steve. Especially being able to reflect now at twenty nine um, on that life on that life experience. Didn't know until I lived it. Had mm-hmm. to live it. Now I know, and now we can move forward into um, yeah, creating that that vision that I have of of, of life for the future. Mm-hmm. Um, well, as um, your career as a teacher was short lived. Why, in essence, did you decide to give up teaching and pursue the sales uh, option? Yeah, I had to I had to decide with teaching. 
do I want to put the bulk of my energy into the system um, and the school and the kids within that classroom? Or do I want to have enough energy to give the bulk of my energy to my family? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The biggest shift with teaching, moving out of teaching, was deciding that I want to be the best father in the future as, as possible and the best husband. And in the future work that I want to do, which is parent coaching, that's where I'll have a greater impact. I could have all of those things. I could be a parent coach. I could be a, a great loving husband, a father, or I could be a teacher because the work within, this, within the education system was so immense mm -hmm. that there wasn't much room to breathe to let other things grow. And there seems to be a lot of... It seems to be fairly formulaic and a lot of form-filling and ticking boxes and that sort of thing, which teachers I've spoken to seem to be very frustrated that they seem, it seems to take them away from that interaction with the kids that they so much enjoy. I went into teaching thinking that at the start of the year, I'd have the requirements that I have to teach. Let's say within English, if you're teaching prep, come the end of the year, they need to know the 26 letters and they need to be able to read three-letter words. Off you go. Go for it. Um, it wasn't it wasn't like that at all. It was creating weekly and daily lesson plans that would run for an hour or two hours, and you'd have to create a bunch of activities that related to say the ch ch or the ck k. Mm -hmm. um, and the amount of after hours work that creating those lesson plans required was just unbelievable, mm -hmm. unbelievable. I was leaving the home at um, seven o'clock to get to work at seven forty. Um, 20 minute lunch break for the day with the kids all day meetings after work 3 30 to 4 30 teaching meetings after that emailing parents after that's when the lesson plans have to come in so you're looking at a 7 30 to 6 30 day as a teacher mm -hmm. um which even with the holidays it means you're not really you're not really equalizing on what you actually get paid for which is a 7.6 hour day so that's it sounds like uh, a system, a systemic problems and is this part of the reason why so many teachers seem to be leaving the system and pursuing other pathways rather than um, continuing to put in that sort of time and effort? I believe so. That, that would be my belief. Mm -hmm. It's a shame that it seems to have moved away from what's, in my opinion, what's best uh, for the child mm -hmm. um, into how can we tick every box so as to make this school look really impressive on paper. Mm -hmm. rather than seeing the children at the school as, as living organisms mm -hmm. that need nurturing, need um, fun and play to actually develop, which is what I'm all about and wanted to bring. But I felt that was stifled in the system. Um, so instead of that, I can't wait to be able to bring, bring that to my future, future mm -hmm. family and future children mm -hmm. um, and have enough energy in reserve to offer that as well as grow some form of parent coaching business in future. You've mentioned a couple of times now about the parenting coaching. Yeah. What is it? And someone might say, look, given you're 29 and you haven't had any kids as yet, <laughs> what, makes you, what makes you or gives you the capability to be a parent uh, or parenting coach? Can, can you explain what parenting yeah. coaching is all about? Well, that is actually another qualification that I've now completed that will mm -hmm. hopefully lead to some form of work. Yeah. The parent coaching is taught through Sphinx Spiritual. Yeah. Um, and it relates to a new model of parenting spiritually. The model relates very much to 
Uh, there, there are many elements to it, actually. Um, values would be one. Um, teaching by consequences would be another. A lack of anger in parenting. Being really present with child is another one. Um, but the reason that I believe I'll be able to be a successful coach one day down the track mm-hmm. is through the desire to start a family, mm-hmm. is through witnessing behaviours within children, within schools, and yeah, a constant, a constant love for the development of children since I was young. Um, yeah, when I was, yeah, I was an only child um, until 14, and then parents both had me young, both remarried, so I've got four siblings um, under the age of 16 today. So I've also seen their parenting within the household as well. Um, yeah, and it's taught me a lot. I believe a parent coach should be able to have more of an impact in positive change um, than as a teacher mm-hmm. within the system. And, and you're working with the parents, obviously, or with the parents and the, and the children. How does, it, how does it work? How do, yes. you, how do you coach a family to be better? Yes, it's working with the, the parents. Mm-hmm. It's, that also came up in the course is seeing that the behaviour of the children is so much not an isolated children, that child has an issue problem. 95% of the time it actually relates to something that the parent's doing that they're not aware of. So in order to be a successful parent coach, I'm going to need to work with parents that actually want to develop themselves and grow for the benefit of their child. Which I think is if, you know, that's kind of the position that you've found yourself in. You know, you've looked at your career and you've gone, I want my family life to be more important than my career. Therefore, I don't see that in this particular teaching career that that's going to be possible. Mm. And I'm not going to make the impact that I really want to make without sacrificing my own family, my own. Mm. That's the biggest one. I'd say you've hit the nail on the head there with how I'm feeling. Yeah. In, in so, the past so, three months. So to accept mm. that and to sort of now develop that new belief system, I think that that sort of puts you in good stead moving forward because, I mean, that is the position you're bringing to the parent coaching and when you do mm. do parent coaching and when you do have your own children. So I think that's a really major thing to, to be able to say, be proud of, right, is to say, okay, well, this I've done this. You know, I've made that decision yeah. for myself. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. That's actually really warming to hear. Yeah, I really like hearing that. And it, it definitely is a humble position to now adopt, um, to to lose a title of some impressive job or impressive op- occupation, but just see it as a way to bring money in so that as a family we can do really beautiful, special things together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I was doing a little bit of research on, on this sort of, you know, um, identity to work, which is quite prolific and... I agree with you in that we get so lost in because I think the conversations that we have with other people usually involve us talking about what we do. Mm. It's kind of one of the first questions someone asks you after what your name is is what do you do? <laughs> it, it's not how you're feeling, you know. <laughs> you know what, what did you do today? You know for pleasure or you know how did you spend your day? It's it's what do you do? And and that from a cultural perspective is constantly being drilled into us. What mm. do you do? What do you do? So the need to have something impressive, <laughs> you know, mm. to say, yeah. don't you think? Yeah, and uh, it, it puts you into a box if you say you're, you're this. Okay, okay, I can put you into this box. Mm. Um, 
what I find really impressive about what you've done, uh, Joshua, is, is this idea of splitting you, who you are and the job you follow. And over the years, I've had situations where I've left uh, occupations with fancy titles and all that sort of thing. Mm. And in recent times, as some of the listeners would be aware, you know, became a bus driver. Mm. Totally different to mm. what I used to do. But it came to the realisation along the way that the job or the occupation you have doesn't define who you are. And that idea of being able to touch people yeah. uh, in a meaningful way is more important than um, uh, just earning income. Yeah, yeah. So I, I'm fully supportive and, and, and in awe of the decisions you're making as a young man now oh, wow. to, you know, uh, for the future of your family uh, going forward. And I think good on you. Thanks, Peter. Yeah, um, three months ago I, I sat down and had a look at, a teaching and had a look at the different career options and on top of that list that I required for the next job that I'd undertake for probably the next three to five years was enough income that when my wife is with child and the child is born she can take a solid three six nine months off because within the parent coaching course it's the belief that up until a year hopefully even up to two the mum is to be with child and be really present, therefore not have the pressure of work. So in deciding on sales, that was at the top of the list, enough income to support mm-hmm. um, single parent. The other one was enough flexibility so that when I come home from work, I've got energy to bring to the family. Mm-hmm. And the third one was similar to that flexibility, but enough um, time and energy to put into a business as we discussed the parent coaching that will bring the fulfillment Mm -hmm. Um, and it took a long time of applying and deciding on where I wanted to head and and finding that right pathway um, that will offer me the things that are actually important did you come to that realisation on your own did you consult with your wife did you consult with anyone else did you know um, it's it's a major decision that you've you've, uh, undertaken yeah how, how did you get the support to do that yeah, probably at the end of the teaching year, being able to reflect and go, gee, I was really absent from the home. Mm-hmm. Teaching overtook a lot. Um, also, on top of that, doing the parent coaching course and realising the importance of my future child's development to be with mum mm-hmm. and have her really present for the first year as well, it really impacted the decision to move out of that. Um, and yeah, just, just feeling a lack of fulfillment and impact that I could have as a teacher and therefore how can I still contribute meaningfully to society but in a, in a different way. I think, I think you know, when, when, when you hear what you're, you're saying, Joshua, um, you know, the benefit that I think y- couples, young couples, just, you know, newly married couples who are just about to embark on their life and, you know, the big decisions that will come out of, you know, becoming married, you know, and just to have that kind of insight and that information about that would really have such a profound effect. You know, earlier before even having the child in school, you know, you know, the parents being in a very different kind of, you know, um, perspective about life and what's important. So I think it's, it's, it's quite a exciting idea that, you know, you can get hold of a young couple and say, hey, have a look at life through this, through this lens and, and maybe this will make different decisions in the end for you. It was, too, it was funny too, the impact that becoming married had on me mm-hmm. and once becoming married early this year in March 2022 and then deciding that soon we'd like to have a family, um, I'm not sure if it's a guy thing, but my mind went straight to, 
I'm now the breadwinner. Mm-hmm. I must provide. How am I going to pay off the mortgage when we have a, have a family? Um, and in that respect, it created, I'm not afraid to say, ashamed to say, a massive anxiety and a massive stress. Um, but that sort of, that prompted me to really look at the long term finally. So, we were out of the fantasy of being able to study two, three degrees until you get the hobby that's really work that you're actually happy with <laughs> out into the real world of the money has to come in mm-hmm. for what's important. Mm-hmm. So, marriage was, was a huge one for me psychologically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely true. There's something else that you mentioned that it comes up a lot um, with the work that we do with men as well. And that is the... Um, having energy at the end of the day Mm. for the family. Mm. And a lot of this, you know, I've worked with quite a few men who are are tradesmen. Um, They exert a lot of energy throughout the day. They're exhausted by the time they get home. Mm. Yeah. But it's really important, isn't it? Yeah. It's really important to reserve some energy for the family because they've missed out. Whilst, you know, you're working really hard, they're waiting for you to come home. Your kids yeah. are waiting for you to come home. You got anything to say to that from your experience? Yeah, this topic makes me quite emotional, actually. Does it? Um, and this sort of wisdom was brought up once again during the, the Sphinx spiritual work. It related to fathers and the responsibility they have towards sharing special moments with their child. So, coming home from work isn't an excuse to therefore not engage, mm-hmm. particularly around um, being too distracted or not being present. The word that was brought up was present for a father to be present with the child. Now, the thing that blew my mind in this realm was that it wasn't about time. It wasn't that the father needs to be with the child for eight hours to have an impact. If the father only has one hour at the end of the day because they get home from six and the child goes to bed at seven, that from six to seven, the father ne- it's only one hour a day. But if the father is present and the father's wanting to immerse themselves in the world of the child and understand who their child is um, and, and connect energetically, that because love is defined by special moments, mm-hmm. it's within that hour you're probably going to create those special moments that the child will remember for a lifetime. Mm-hmm. Rather than spending six hours, it's a six hours, say, in a shopping centre, you're together, but you're disconnected and you're distracted. Mm-hmm. So, I feel like there, Steve, it's almost... A false belief that a father can come home too exhausted to be with their child because even if it's for 25 minutes is all they have um, that's what they have to give and I, I believe that the child will pick up on that commitment mm-hmm. and therefore the love and the, the relationship will develop mm. yeah as a parent I and I've also done the parenting coaching course as well. Oh, beautiful. And uh, I find, I, I, I wish that I had have had that knowledge when I was a parent and uh, would have certainly changed the way I did things. Yeah. yeah. So I think uh, the more people like yourself, Joshua, that are out there, you know, um, uh, applying this knowledge and helping parents be better parents, yeah. it's um, a, a good thing for the world. Yeah. The, the analogy that was given to me, in the teaching was that a, a father pushing their child on the swing mm-hmm. and they're thinking about work and mm-hmm. because pushing a swing is easy you can disconnect you can detach thinking about work looking at the seagulls mm-hmm. flying off forgetting that the child is there but there can be such a positive impact in the pushing and the mm-hmm. energy and, and being one in that moment um so yeah the limitation of being too exhausted from work um could do with an improvement i think because mm-hmm. 
um, even if something is pushing on a swing, you can you can create a real bond. And how often do we see, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but so often do I see, and I'm not saying fathers, even including mothers who are walking their child, they're on their phone and they're, they're the yep. child's in the a pram and they're so disconnected from from being with the child that they're just so lost and immersed in their phone. Or, or even thinking, the child may have some electronic device they're playing with as well. It, it really yeah. is. Yeah. And whilst, you know, whilst, yeah, there are times when maybe that, you know, both of them need a bit of time. but Totally. Yeah, but you're right about that, and it's and and I think often too, the advice that we you know we give men as well is that you know find a way to transition yourself from work to home. Mm. So even before you open that door, when you get home, mm. you've yeah. got to do something. Either yeah. you know you you say to yourself, okay, I'm coming home now, and I'm just focusing on the kids, I'm focusing on my partner. Or you go in a quick run or you have a shower or you meditate for five minutes. Just do something that switches you from work to home and make that time really important. Yeah. 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 Couldn't, couldn't agree more. And then having um, the time, your own time in the calendar. Mm-hmm. So, you know that it's really hard now. I'm really exhausted now. But ah, Sunday, 12 p.m. to 2 p.m. I'm doing this for me. I'll have <laughs> that to look forward to so I can push through now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Can I just go back to the, the teaching issue? Um, re- listening to you, Joshua, I really feel that you know, teaching has lost a, a great ref- resource in you deciding or reprioritizing things. Mm. But you and a lot of other teachers are leaving the system. How do we fix the system um, that there are more, um, a greater number of committed teachers that are doing what needs to be done rather than um, getting... Mm. Yeah, great question. Sort of, it, like as I look at so many people out there mm. that um, they're relying on the education system to help their child develop, and uh, what I'm hearing from you and lots of others is the system's failing. Mm. What what can we do? Like we can have the parenting coach, and we can try and be better parents, but within the systems, what can we do? In your opinion and your experience, to improve things, probably gets back to why children go to school and that's to grow and develop as people so that one day they can bring something to the earth and have that real confidence and happiness i feel like the priority has gone from what's best for the child to what's um easiest for the (laughs) i'm not going to say teachers because it's not easiest for the teachers but i'd say whatever the department deems as necessary which is gaining a score um it's all around getting that score on a piece of paper getting the academic results rather than i think we spoke about this before Mm. seeing the children as living breathing entities i'll give you an example that i had within my classroom when i was teaching prep and this probably related to why i struggled so much with the workload but it was something that i couldn't because of my values and i understand the need of children um, to connect with their teacher that i couldn't let go Um, within this within the classroom our, our teaching cohort required lots of assessment um, with the children. So when we're all together or they're undertaking an activity, it was my job to bring one child at a time and do lots of marking and data entry and assessment um, and, te- and treat the child in a way that was, that was quite severe, like read this, spell this, can you do this, tick cross, tick cross. Yeah. Meanwhile, the whole class is going on with without me and therefore what we spoke about before I couldn't give I couldn't provide I couldn't 
be there to share the energy or to get to know these these beings and build that relationship because the demands the teaching demands were so much about getting the assessment complete getting the Mm -hmm. data into the excel spreadsheets Um, and because of that i chose i chose to put that aside and do it at home and do it later because my values would be that i'm a teacher here and we need to share like there's got to be times where i actually connect with you guys Mm -hmm. we share you get to know me i get to know you um, and we can grow something in the classroom so therefore at the end of the day or on the weekend, there was a lot more data entry assessment and marking to do. So, so perhaps I could have stayed in the system if I chose um, not to be who I am. Yeah, it, it, it seems to me that to make the system work for the benefit of the kids, you have to um, work outside the system and put in a lot more of your own time and energy into it. Now, that's not going to be sustainable for all teachers that's exactly in these systems going forward. So that's what I felt, what's the yeah. Like, what's the answer? It's <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the answer is. I'd love to see probably 10 to 12 students in each classroom. Um, one teacher for, yeah, 10 to that's, 12 students. That's a lot more teachers. Yep, that's a lot more teachers. I'd love to see a lot of learning that's outside of the classroom. I'd love to see a complete lack of pressure on achieving results by a certain time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'd love to see differentiated schools and teaching. So you've got those... Um, boys who are really into the environment or into sport and can spend a lot of, a lot more time doing that or the girls that are into whatever it is creativity and, and art I don't mean to be gender specific but it's um, just an example um, rather than yeah literacy and numeracy taking up 80% mm-hmm. um, mm, I'd love yeah more assistance to teachers because the kids are only the kids are going to be so limited if the teacher's stressed and busy um yeah, lots of lots of things, but um, we are just one man. <laughs> you are, but, but, but there's some really good thoughts there mm. about you know the system. I'm sure you're not alone there, um, Joshua. From your perspective, and anyone who's say around your age or even younger right now who may be listening, what kind of sort of you know final remarks would you have for them to? about career, about work, about study, about how to look at their life from such a young perspective? Yeah, I'd love to share anyone who's listening that's around that age, um, 17, 19, or even a little bit older, deciding on the right career pathways to don't fall into the trap of your auntie, your school teacher asking, what do you want to become when you're older? It needs to be one thing. You need to decide it now so we can start putting that into practice. (laughs) I'd really recommend to lose that and look at life as more of the next 10 years. So what's what's a qualification I can attain now that will allow me to gain an income and grow as a person? And then in 10 years when I'm 29, 30, um, let's reassess. So less of a a one, one thing for life and you must decide now more of a life is a journey so let's create smaller goals Mm -hmm. that's what i'd impart if i if i had my time again this may be completely um different to what i've done but i'd actually do a trade apprenticeship carpentry um three to four year apprenticeship have that complete by 21 22 that would have provided a lot of fulfillment in terms of creativity and building and then as well as income and then come the age that I am now would be a time to reassess. Can we reduce carpentry to three days a week and let's study whatever it would be. Let's study something different. 
And that's because you get to know who you are more by the time you're around about 28, 29. I mean, you're still discovering who you are. Yeah. The idea of being having this knowledge of what you should do for the rest of your life is just ridiculous because we don't even know who we are by this stage. I, I think that's wonderful advice. I really think that's a great way to wrap this up. Um, I think... Um, I've, I've enjoyed listening to you. Um, Likewise. You certainly put my life to shame. I have wasted a lot of time. <laughs> no, no, I, I don't I, believe that. No, don't be too hard No, no, I am just joking. Only a little bit. But I know it's been wonderful listening to you and hearing your story. And I'm sure it's going to be really helpful for a lot of people your age. And I, I, I wish you the very best with your parenting coaching when that comes. All the very best with your family when that comes. Oh, um, but thanks, all the very, Steve. you know, thanks very much for sharing your story. Peter, do you mm. have anything you want to no, say just, before we finish? No, just uh, thanking you very much, Joshua. It's been a fascinating discussion. And as I say, I wish I had have had your wisdom at, uh, at uh, a similar age. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Peter. Thanks, um, Steve. Do we just want to mention, uh, I think last time we mentioned about the uh, MIOK app yes with, uh, it's been developed by uh, DB results uh, we're in the process of uh, rolling out some new features on that and we'll have news on that over the next few uh, few shows but that's really really exciting and uh, we're just so pleased to be working with DB results on that and it's going to be an app that uh, can help men uh, in terms of their growth and development. In Absolutely. All, in all aspects of their life. Yeah. All right. Time to wrap up the show. Do You don't go anywhere just yet, Joshua, because you have one more song to share with us, but I'll have uh, a few little housekeeping notes here. Um, information and links about our shows are available on the Radio Karam website, radiocaram.org, or via our Facebook page. Now, if you want to attend any of our Men With Spirit gatherings, um, the event details, including how to register, are also on our Men With Spirit Facebook page, which is that Men With Spirit you can also contact us at connect at menwithspirit.com.au. Now, we aren't on air next week. Uh, we are taking a short break, mm-hmm. but we'll be back the week after that. That's right. Um, have I missed anything else from mm-hmm. housekeeping notes here? No, I think that just about covers it. Um, Excellent. All right. Uh, as we normally say, until next time, which will be two weeks from now. Two weeks from now, yes, but, but we're still not there yet. we still got a song from Joshua. Uh-huh. Joshua, what's your final song? Uh, this song is The Children Came Back by Briggs and Grumel, two Aboriginal artists. Mm-hmm. And the reason I love this song is because I can really feel um, the pride really trying to be engendered within this song. It just, To me, it's just such a prideful song that makes you want to get moving. Fantastic. Everyone, thank you for listening again. We'll be uh, back on air in two weeks' time. Until then, be true to yourself.